We're going to get into the teaching of the word this morning. We've been in a teaching series called Shine, Making Room for Revival. We believe that this lockdown season that we have been in has been ordained by God to bring about revival in our personal lives, that when we gather back together, he will bring revival to our church. Isaiah chapter 60, God says to rise and shine. Let your light shine in dark places. Let it shine in dark seasons and people will be drawn to your lights. And so we're declaring it is a time for the church to shine in a dark season and in a dark place. And so last week, as a, as a part of this series, we looked at Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones. And we looked at it in relation to the New Testament church, that to call the church back to life is going to require prophetic declaration from the people of God, and it's going to require a crying out for the Holy Spirit. And we challenged last week, who are the few that are going to rise up and speak prophetically, and pray passionately for the Holy Spirit that we might see the church called back to life, called out of the grave, and established in the anointing and the power of God. As a part of that message last week, talking about prophetic declaration, I made the statement, only speak what he tells you to speak. And I said it during the message last week that that statement might require an entire sermon. And so I'm going to stay true to my word, and that's going to be today's sermon. Only speak what he tells you to speak. We want to encourage the prophetic gift to rise up at Kauai Bible Church, but we want it to rise up appropriately. We want it to rise up authentically, and we want it to rise up in the fear of the Lord. We don't want people just saying anything, coming up with weird ideas, making heretical statements, making anti-biblical statements, and all in the name of prophecy. We don't want that. We want the Word of God and the power of God spoken forth. And so that's what I would like to deal with this morning. Here's our big picture idea. Speaking a prophetic word has both a great reward and a great responsibility. Speaking a prophetic word has a great reward. Man, when the word of God goes forth in an authentic way, it is powerful. It will change people's lives. It will affect the course of their lives. It will draw people closer to God. It will impact the church. It will bring faith and power into lives and into the church. There is a great reward for speaking prophetically, but it also comes with a great responsibility that we can only say what God tells us to say. And so what I want to do today is I want to find a balance between honoring the prophetic word and, but not being afraid of it, honoring it, recognizing the gravity of it, the importance of only speaking the word of God, but not being afraid of it, not being scared. So, well, I'm not going to prophesy because I don't want to be a false prophet. No, we don't want you to be afraid of it, but we do want you to operate in the fear of the Lord. In the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, we learned that with great power comes great responsibility. And that's the message I want to get across. By the end of this sermon, I want more people prophesying, not less. More people developing and practicing the gift, not less. But we need to do it in a healthy fear of the Lord. Let me tap into my Star Wars nerdiness here. In episode five, when Luke Skywalker has gone to Dagobah to find the, the, the Jedi Master Yoda, 
and he finds him and he's trying to convince Yoda to train him as a Jedi. And Luke, with all of his youthful zeal and confidence, says to Yoda, I'm not afraid. And Yoda's answer is, you will be. You will be. I think it's important that as we move into the prophetic, we do it with a healthy fear of the Lord. We do it with a healthy understanding of the importance of of doing it properly and only speaking the word of the Lord. So if you've got your notes, which you can find the notes attached to the video, you can find the notes attached to the audio if you're listening to the audio. Uh, We email them out to our church. You can also find them on our church app. But you can see in our notes, first off, if we're going to talk about prophecy, let's get real straightforward about what is a prophetic word. And I know people have lots of different ideas about about what prophecy is, but let's make it as simple as possible. A prophetic word is a divinely inspired message. A prophetic word is a divinely inspired message. That's it. A prophetic word is any message that's inspired by God. It's a message that God wants to share right now, either with an individual or with a group of people. I know sometimes when you think of prophecy, you think, well, prophecy is declaring the future or predicting the future. That's one aspect of prophecy. But prophecy is any message that God wants to speak right now. It might be about somebody's future, but it might be about right now and what they need right now or what God wants to do in their life right now. Or it might be that God is speaking to something in their past because he wants to heal something from their past or he wants to draw out something from their past to build their faith. It's, it's any divinely inspired message, any message that God wants to speak right now. And we shared with you briefly last week that we've got the Logos Word of God and we have the Rhema Word of God. The Logos is everything we have in the Bible. So the easiest way to learn how to prophesy is just to declare Bible verses over people. Declare them over your life. Declare them over your family. Declare them over your church. Declare them over your friends and your loved ones. Just declare Bible verses. Declare the Word of God. And then there's the Rhema Word of God which is a message that God is going to put in your heart by His Spirit for you to speak right now. And that one's a little harder, but that's the one that we want everyone to really learn how to develop that gift and to move in that gift. Now, when it comes to prophecy in the Old Testament, you'll find that uh, uh, the prophecy had an edge to it that, that involved a lot of judgment right? There was a lot of prophecy of impending judgment. There was a lot of calling to repentance, uh, calling God's people, you need to repent and turn back to God, or this is the judgment that is coming, right? There was a lot of pestilence, famine, and the sword that is being prophesied. The Old Testament is also full of prophecies regarding future acts of God, such as the restoration of Israel, the promised Messiah, the the great day of the Lord, uh, the second coming of the Messiah and the end times, uh, a lot of that. But we're in the New Testament church and I want to talk about what what is different about prophecy in the New Testament church. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verses 1 through 4 says this. It says, pursue love. Now think about this. Where are we at here? What came right before 1 Corinthians 14? I know, 1 Corinthians 13, right? That was mind-blowing. But what is 1 Corinthians 13? It's famously known as the love chapter, right? Where Paul describes everything about love. 
And then he says, you know, you've got faith, hope, and love, but of these three characteristics, you should desire love above them all. Right out of that conversation about love, he moves right into this conversation about prophecy. So verse one starts off with pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Right? He says, listen, pursue love because that's the, the highest characteristic. That's the highest part of, of our nature that will reflect God is by pursuing love. But he says, also desire spiritual gifts. And of all the spiritual gifts you should desire, you should desire that you may prophesy. He goes on to say, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Here, Paul is talking about the gift of speaking in tongues, speaking in a language that, that you don't know. It might be a heavenly language that no one on earth knows, or it might be a language that you've never learned before, but suddenly God has come upon you and you're speaking in a tongue. Paul says that's great for building yourself up, but that doesn't build up the church because no one understands. Verse three, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. And so Paul highlights prophecy here of all the spiritual gifts that this is the one that is the most powerful and the most important for the church. And it's the one that he believes all believers, all followers of Christ should pursue this gift. Not just a select few, not just certain people that hold the office of prophet. No, all of us should pursue this gift especially. And what does this gift do? In verse 3, it says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So in your notes, those are our three blanks there. The first one, edification. What does that mean? It means to build up. So that means you might speak a prophetic word over the church or over somebody's life that's going to build them up. It's going to build up their faith. It's going to build up the foundation of their faith so that they're more secure in the foundation of their faith. It might uh, build up their strength that maybe they're falling apart and they need their strength built up so that they can hold it together. It, it, it might be building up their knowledge of the Lord that they need to know more about God and connect with Him more intimately. But somehow that prophetic word is building up. It is edifying. It's strengthening somebody. Maybe they feel like they're not going to make it and they need that edification and they need that prophetic word to get them through. The second one is exhortation, which means to stir up. A prophetic word of exhortation should stir up something in somebody's life. It should stir up a gift that they haven't been using. It should stir up a calling that uh, they haven't believed in or that they haven't pursued. It should stir up a dream that they've lost hope in or that they've given up on. Maybe God wants them to go out and evangelize, but they need a prophetic word to stir them up so that they'll actually go out. Maybe uh, they need to start prophesying. And so they need a prophetic word to stir up the gift so that they might prophesy. But an exhortation is going to stir somebody up. They're not doing something, and it's going to stir them up to do something. They're not operating in faith. It's going to stir them up to operate in faith. And the third one is consolation, which means to cheer up, to console, and to comfort. Somebody might be going through a hard time, and a prophetic word might speak encouragement to them right in that moment. You might go up to somebody and just say, you know, 
this might sound really weird, but God just wanted me to tell you that you're not alone right now. And who knows, maybe that person is feeling so depressed and isolated that they're considering suicide. And that prophetic word that you brought to them brought consolation. It cheered them up. It's going to get them through so that they don't give up. Edification, exhortation, and consolation. The prophetic is to build up and to stir up and to cheer up. So that means that when we, we are practicing this gift and using this gift, we're not like the Old Testament prophets that are going around wagging our fingers at people, proclaiming judgment and death and destruction and all those things over their lives. No, we should be building up, stirring up, and cheering up. I love what Ken Mallman says. He's the dean of Portland Bible College. He says, edify, don't terrify. The purpose of the prophetic is to edify not to terrify. So I want you to have this understanding that that's what the prophetic gift is. But now let's talk about respecting the gift and only saying what God tells us to say. We're going to go back into the Old Testament into Jeremiah chapter 23. And and we're also going to look a little bit at Jeremiah chapter 28. But we've been reading through Jeremiah for the last month and a half as part of our rooted Bible reading. And there's been so much that that God has taught me and spoken to me on. But specifically, when it comes to only saying what God told us to say, I think this passage from Jeremiah 23 is, is, is the most profound, I think the most powerful. Let's read this. We're going to start in verse 21. This is God speaking. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of the deception of their own hearts? who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal? The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare the Lord declares. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. And then skip down to verses 39 and 40. Therefore, behold, I will surely forget you and cast you away from my presence, along with the city which I gave you and your fathers. I will put an everlasting reproach on you and an everlasting humiliation, which will not be forgotten. 
Come on, let's break this down. Verse 21, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. You can see in your notes, I think this is important. A definition of a false prophet is a person who is willfully misrepresenting their message as God's. A person who is willfully misrepresenting their message, right? So here's why this is important. Because if you're practicing the gift of prophecy with a pure heart and you are authentically trying to hear from the Spirit and speak the words that God gave you and and you get something wrong, that doesn't make you a false prophet. Your heart is pure. There has to be a willful component to it. There has to be a purposeful aspect to it that you are purposefully taking your message and attributing it to God. God didn't give it to you. God didn't tell you to say it, but you're putting his name on it anyway. My pastor, Pastor Bob McGregor, has a powerful prophetic gift, and I've heard him prophesy to so many people. I've heard him prophesy over the church. I've seen amazing and powerful things happen, Uh, but one of the, the most powerful moments I'll remember is when my pastor got it wrong. It's when he prophesied and he was wrong. We were in a Sunday church service. It was a large service and we're in the midst of worship and the spirit is moving and Pastor Bob gets up and he calls out a person who's new to the church. They're they're just visiting. He's never met them before. And he says, I've got a prophetic word for you. And he speaks to them and he speaks this word over them. And it's a word about how they've faced financial devastation and how they're, they're, they don't know how they're going to make it. And, and maybe the church needs to rise up and help support them to get them through this financial struggle. And he prophesies over them. And then the, the, the worship continues on. Well, during the worship, this person goes up to pastor Bob and says, I'm so sorry. You must be talking about somebody else. I've not faced any devastation in my life financially. I'm not struggling at all. I don't need the church to rise up and support me. I don't need any money. Everything's fine. And so Pastor Bob, I'll never forget this, gets up in front of the entire church and apologizes and says, hey guys, I got it wrong. I missed it. And there was such humility in that moment. There was such a a correctable spirit in that moment. So listen, if you're practicing prophecy and, and you get it wrong, just be humble and admit it. But here's the thing is if you keep getting it wrong and you're not teachable and you're not correctable and you're not allowing your leaders, apostolic leaders, your pastors, you're not allowing those people to speak into your life and to bring that correction, then you've entered into the realm of a false prophet because you are operating willfully in your own flesh. But as long as we're being authentic and we have a pure heart, and we're being humble, and we're being teachable, it's okay to get it wrong sometimes. We are in the dispensation of God's grace, and His grace is sufficient. So don't let the fear of getting it wrong one time stop you. But if you keep just pressing on willfully, that's when you've entered into the area of a false prophet. Here's the scary thing about being a false prophet. First off is God is everywhere, and He hears everything. 
right? In verse 23, he says, am I a God who is near and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I don't see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? God is saying, look, listen, I'm near and I'm far. I'm here. I'm there. I'm everywhere. Come on. God is sounding like a Dr. Seuss book right now. God is saying, I'm everywhere and I hear everything. There's nowhere that you can speak a word that you're hiding from me. So if you're speaking a false word, God is hearing that false word. Right in verse 25, he says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name. There is no hiding. If you're a false prophet, there is no hiding it. And God declares he is against the false prophet. Right? Verse 30, I am against the prophets who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets who use their tongues. Right? He's saying who use their words but say, thus saith the Lord. And they add my name onto it. I am against the prophets who have prophesied false dreams. God stands against false prophets. So again, this is the scary part of being a false prophet is God is going to come against you. He is going to stand against you and there will be consequences. Verses 39 and 40, God says, I will forget you. I will cast you away from my presence along with the city which I gave you. There will be an everlasting reproach, right? There is a consequence that comes for being a false prophet. In chapter 28, you've got Hananiah uh, who is prophesying falsely, right? Jeremiah has already declared that this Babylonian captivity is going to last 70 years. And Hananiah comes out and says, no, it's only going to last two years. And then God's going to bring everybody back after two years. And in verses 15 and 16 of Jeremiah 28, it says, then Jeremiah, the prophet said to Hananiah, the prophet, listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This year, you're going to die because you have counseled rebellion against the Lord. And wouldn't you know it? Two months later, Hananiah is dead. There are consequences for being a false prophet. Now, it might not necessarily be death, but God coming against your life can look a lot of different ways. But it's going to look like hardship and struggle, and there's going to be no fruit. So with all of this understanding, why would anybody be a false prophet? What would motivate someone to prophesy falsely? Well, number one is reputation. These aren't in your notes. I'm just kind of sharing these here. You can... Write them off to the side. The first one is reputation. And the three F's of reputation, fame, friends, and followers. We live in a day and age where you can be a false prophet. You can pretend to hear from God. You can create a YouTube channel. You can create a following on Facebook and you can say whatever you want to say. And it's all about you building your own following and you making your own reputation because something about that fame and something about that following fills an emptiness inside of you. It might be about advancement, right? We see these false prophets in Jeremiah's day. Why were they prophesying falsely? Because they wanted to get in good with the king. Because if they got in good with the king, then they were a part of the king's court. And with that came advancement of position and came money and security and all those types of things. The motivation to prophesy falsely might have to do with influence. 
right? You might have an idea and nobody will listen to your idea. But if you attach God's name to it, suddenly you've tried to create more influence for yourself. So you put a thus saith the Lord on it and people will listen. It also makes it so people can't argue with you. Well, God told me this. Well, who's going to argue with that, right? You go to your pastor and say, this is what I'm going to do. God told me to do it. What do you think? Well, why do you care what I think if God told you to do it? So a lot of times we'll say God said it just so nobody will argue with us, just so that we don't have to be teachable, just so that we don't have to allow people to speak into our lives and advise us. On the more sinister side is manipulation. That you can use prophecy to manipulate an individual or to manipulate a group of people. And you can attach God's name to it to get people to do what you want them to do. So listen, I, I, I encourage you, avoid parking lot prophecy. You say, what's parking lot prophecy? Well, that's when somebody pulls you aside privately, secretly in the parking lot and wants to prophesy to you, say, no, thank you. There needs to be some accountability to it. In fact, the best thing that we have now is we've got a smartphone. If somebody wants to prophesy to you, pull out the smartphone, open up your voice memo recording and just record it. No prophecy should be secret because it's secret prophecies that tend to manipulate people. Manipulation, though, also could be because people know uh, that you're looking for something to make you feel better or you're looking for something to confirm what you want to hear. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul said this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And so there's plenty of people out there that will say exactly what you want them to say just so that you will listen and you will follow them and they'll, you'll turn away from truth and turn towards the myth, right? So we go out looking for people saying what we want to hear. And, and so, you know, I'll, somebody will, will, will share a video with me and I'll, and, and I'll be like, wow, that's amazing. You found somebody on YouTube who says that the coronavirus is a hoax. That's amazing. You found somebody who was saying exactly what you wanted to hear and you turned your ear from the truth to believe a myth. Oh, you found a prophet, quote unquote prophet, who declared that the vaccine for the coronavirus is actually going to make you take the mark of the beast. Come on. We're turning away from truth and turning towards myth. Why? Because there's plenty of false prophets out there that want to manipulate your fear. And they will take your fear and use it to twist you, to turn you away from the truth and turn you towards myths. Some false prophets, they just hate God and they'll do whatever they can to turn you away from God. Others might genuinely be confused or deceived. There might be an element of mental illness to it or there might be somebody who is in a tragic season of life and in their own emotion and their own pain they're speaking things out thinking that they're speaking things for God but really they're just speaking out of their own pain out of their own confusion the list goes on and on 
what would motivate a false prophet even in the face of consequences. But here's the important thing. The prophetic word will always bring you closer to God. An authentic prophetic word if you follow it. If you follow it. Right, getting back to chapter 23 and verse 22. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from their evil deeds. Right, a prophetic word, if we follow through with it, will always draw us closer to God. Whereas false prophetic words do the exact opposite. They're going to lead us away from God. Look at verses 26 and 27. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood? Even these prophets of the deception of their own heart who intend to make my people forget my name. False prophecies are going to turn us away from God. They're going to lead us away from the truth. They're going to bring us away from the presence of God. Whether that's because it's teaching us some falsehood that's not in the Bible or whether it's manipulating our fear and getting us to believe myths and, and, and getting us entrapped in a web of Satan rather than relying on God and pressing into the Holy Spirit. And this is important here. This is uh, uh, God says this in verse 28. What does straw have in common with grain? What does straw have in common with grain? And so in your notes, it simply says grain versus straw. Grain versus straw. What does straw have to do with grain? God is comparing them. Listen, grain is a food. It is a source of, of sustenance. Grain has substance to it. When you eat it, it feeds your body. It makes you stronger. You can survive and grow and thrive on grain. Whereas straw, straw has no value. Straw is meant to be thrown on the ground so the cows can lay on it. You can't eat straw. You can't feed off of straw. And so God is talking about the difference between feeding off of grain versus feeding off of straw, right? There, there's a lot of food that we eat that is just empty calories. It doesn't actually make us healthier. It doesn't actually help our body function better. We just eat it, I don't know, because it tastes good, because it makes us feel better. It comforts our emotions, right? And so there's a lot of food that is high in sugar or high in fats, and we can eat it all the time, but we're not getting healthier. And our bodies aren't being sustained. That's like eating straw. So what is God talking about here? Well, grain is the true prophetic word that we can feed off of. But these false prophecies are like straw. You can keep eating them in and eating them in, but they're not going to sustain you. And they're not making you any healthier. And we have to, as a people, get better at discerning. Get better at discerning what's a true word and what's not. We got to stop just taking in straw and believing it. There's some things we can do to test a prophetic word. The first one is really simple is does it align with the Bible? Does it align with the Bible? If it doesn't align with the written word of God, then it's just straw. It's not real and it's going to lead you away from God. What about does it confirm something in your spirit? 
Does it confirm something in your spirit, right? If somebody prophesies to you, generally, they're not going to be breaking news to you that you've never even thought of before. More likely, it's God is confirming something that he's already stirring in your spirit. Right? So if somebody comes and prophesies to you and says, hey, you're going to be preaching the gospel in Africa. And you're just like, I've never even thought about Africa for a moment in my life. It didn't confirm anything that's happening in your spirit. Another thing to ask is, does it point to Jesus? Does it glorify Jesus? Right? Because John taught us that any spirit that's of God glorifies Jesus. And any spirit that's not of God won't glorify Jesus. How about this? Is it accurate? Is it accurate? Back to chapter 28 with Hananiah prophesying falsely, Jeremiah said this. He said, the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, then that prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Is it accurate? If somebody comes up to you and prophesies and says, you know, God just showed me that you suffered such horrible abuse as a child and there was so much pain and now God is going to do something with that pain. And you're like, wait a minute, I had a wonderful, healthy childhood. I was never abused. Nobody ever attacked me in that way. Is it accurate? Or how about this one? Does the person have a proven gift? Who is the person that's prophesying? Just because they're on YouTube doesn't make them a prophet. Do they have a proven gift? Who is their covering? Who do they submit to as their apostolic leadership? Who is their pastor? Where do they fellowship at church? What have they prophesied in the past that has shown uh, that they have an authentic character and an authentic gift? Does the person have a proven gift? But ultimately, how about this? Does the word bring peace into your heart? Because if it just brings fear and chaos into your heart, that's not a prophetic word. These are just some of the questions that we can ask to test. Is it grain or is it straw? And we've got to stop eating the grain. I mean, we've got to stop eating the straw. We need to start eating the grain. We need the true prophetic word that's going to feed us. So let me finish with this. How do we know if we should prophesy? How do we know when we're supposed to give a word? First off, let me clarify something. Back to chapter 23 and verse 28. It says, the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream. So what is that saying there? God is saying, it's okay to share your own ideas. Just don't put God's name on them. If it's your dream, share your dream. If it's your idea, share your idea. That's okay. In fact, God encourages that. Their creative solutions come from people sharing ideas and brainstorming and, and, and talking about what's upon their heart. Just don't put God's name on it if he didn't tell you to say it. But you can see two things here in your notes. How do you know if you should prophesy? The first thing is you have been with God. Going back to verse 22 again, it says, But if you had stood in my counsel, then you would have announced my words to my people. Listen, I understand that the Holy Spirit could come upon anybody at any moment and give them a prophetic word. They could be the worst person in the world. They could, they could not even know God or spend any time with God. And the Spirit could come upon them and they could prophesy. I know that can happen, but that is the exception, not the norm. The norm is that the prophets have been with God. 
They've spent time in his counsel. They've sought after him in the secret place. This is why we've been talking so much about the secret place lately. You've been with God and the more that you've learned to discern the voice of God and the more that you've learned to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you in the secret place, the more that that gift is going to be activated and you're going to be able to speak a prophetic word. When you've been with God all week long, then when you're gathered in a worship service and the Holy Spirit puts a prophetic word on your heart, you're going to know it because you've stood in the counsel of the Lord. You've spent that quiet time in the secret place with God and you've been with the Lord. To develop the gift is to develop it in the secret place, to sit quietly in the counsel of God. The second thing I want to give you is verse 29. God said, Is not my word like a fire? Is not my word like a fire? So the second point is, it's burning within you like a fire. Right? Jeremiah at one point got so fed up with prophesying doom and destruction and being tortured and ridiculed and mocked and shamed that he decided, I'm not going to do it anymore. I can't prophesy anymore. I'm going to go silent. And he said, I couldn't stay silent because it was burning in my bones like fire. So what does that mean? It's burning within you like fire. Well, when something comes on you and you think, well, I might have a prophetic word. How do, how do I tell the difference between whether it's just my own idea or whether it's a prophetic word? Well, it's when I have that burning inside of me that I just have to say it. Even if I try to tell myself I don't want to say it, uh, even if I try to push it aside and say, no, that's just my idea, but the word stays in me and continues to burn like a fire and, and I, I just feel this compulsion like I just have to speak it, that's when I know this is from God and this needs to be spoken. It's also important in that place that you ask God, how, what is this word for? Is it for an individual? Is it to be spoken for the whole church? Is it for me to speak out loud? Or is it for me to write down and to hand to somebody? Whatever the case may be, ask God, what am I supposed to do with this word? It's burning inside of me. Now, what do I do with it? And God may have the exact person for you to share it with. God may have the exact time for you to share it. But it's burning within you like a fire. You've pressed into God in the secret place. You've discerned the voice of the Spirit. You've learned to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And when that word is inside of you, it's burning like a fire. And you've just got to say it. I started the message this way and I'm going to end the message this way. I want more people prophesying. I want more people developing the gift. I want to see everyone at Kauai Bible Church prophesying. And the more we speak those words of life, the more we're going to call the church out of the grave. And the more we're going to see revival happen publicly. It's got to start somewhere. Where does it start? It starts in the secret place. It starts in the secret place. And then when you've been in the secret place, it starts when you're willing to cross the chicken line. When you've got a word burning inside of you and you're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to be a chicken anymore. I'm not going to be scared anymore. I'm not going to let fear keep me silent anymore. Yes, I want you to fear the Lord and prophesy genuinely, but I don't want you to fear the act of speaking it out. We got to cross that chicken line and say, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I believe right now there are people who have stayed silent because you've been scared 
scared of getting it wrong, scared of what people might think, scared of looking weird, scared of sounding funny, scared of not saying it the right way. All of these fears have kept you silenced, but that silence is just like taking the gift of God and burying it in the dirt. And I believe right now God is calling the gift out of the dirt. God is calling the gift out. And if you've been silent because of fear, then right now we are going to rebuke that fear and cancel that fear that you would begin to speak. Insecurity that has kept you silent, we're casting it away in Jesus' name. Oh, reputation and image and worrying about what other people think, we're casting that away in Jesus' name. That you would speak out, that more people would prophesy, more people would seek the gift genuinely. More people would be humble and teachable in learning the gifts. Oh, and we would call the church back to life. People's lives would be changed because they are stirred up, they are built up, and they are cheered up. Come on, Lord, right now, do it in every home. Every person that's watching this service, do it right now. Break away the fear. Break away the anxiety. Break away the wrong beliefs. Break away the thought that this is somebody else's job. Oh, Lord, and remind each one of us, it's our job. You've chosen us. God, use us as your instrument. Use our mouth to be a mouthpiece for you. Use us to speak your word. God, I pray that we would speak words of life to those that are considering death. I pray that we would speak words of hope to those that have lost hope. I pray that we would speak words that would stir up the gift, that would stir up faith, that would stir up people to do more ministry than they've ever done before. Oh, do it right now, Lord. Do it right now. Holy Spirit, move through every living room right now. Touch every mouth. Touch every heart. Break us out of our fear. Teach us how to hear your voice. Teach us how to speak your word, God. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together right now.